Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to another episode of Music in My Life with me, Laura Wright. Today, I'm joined by entertainment journalist Kevin Hughes. Kevin has a wealth of experience in the entertainment industry. He's been a showbiz reporter for Global, interviewing some huge celebrity names. He's hosted the chart show for Virgin Radio in Canada, as well as Heart Radio, which is where he now hosts the Heart 90s Breakfast Show. He's also been head of the UK jury for Eurovision, which I think is very cool. Um, And I feel like, Kevin, you're someone who... You're wholeheartedly submersed in our wonderful culture of entertainment and the arts. And I just want to say welcome to the podcast and thank you so, so much for taking the time to chat to me today. How are you doing? I am very good, Laura. It is an absolute pleasure and honour, frankly, to be speaking to you and on this podcast. May I give you immediately douze poire, douze poire from this jury here. <laughs> I love if it. that's okay. Yes. I'm winning. I'm winning. Um, How are you doing? I'm really good. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really good. I was so interested to talk to you about your kind of personal connection with music because you're someone who has obviously been on the other side and been the person who is interviewing over the years and asked people questions about why they're doing something, who's inspired them for a certain project, you know, and and what they're they're up to in their lives in the music and entertainment industry. And I, I just feel like this is such a wonderful opportunity to hear a bit more about you hear a bit more about your story and obviously we're going to talk about all these wonderful songs that you've chosen that have really you know shaped your life so I love to ask people all of my guests in fact what do you feel like has been your sort of emotional connection with music through your life to date Oh, it's such a big question. And may I say um, that all those things are so lovely of you because I am so used to asking the questions that answering these questions terrifies me a little bit. Does it? Um, it does a little bit. It does because, I mean, I remember interviewing you on red carpets over the years, uh, speaking to you about your amazing outdoor performances, music performances, record releases, work, Gary Barlow, number one EP, you know, things like that. But you're right. I have had an emotional connection to music since a young age. It's been uh, there with me since I was, I think, two years old. At four years old, I was in my bedroom pretending to script television and radio shows. At eight years old, I was recording on cassette and Fisher-Price recording uh, toys to create my own radio show. And then and then it spiralled and continued for years. And then at the age of 18, after work experience, I was able to study radio and perform it as a radio presenter while studying a degree. But at the heart of that was pop music and my love of music. So it's always been there. And I think a lot of that stems from coming from a Welsh family coming from Wales where, you know, let's be honest, music is in our blood. 
Yeah, it's the land of song. I totally agree with you. I have to say when I've been in situations where I'm obviously kind of strongly linked to rugby and when I sing for England, hearing the Welsh anthem, honestly, there is nothing like it. And I'm so envious in that moment of the passion that you hear behind the song. It's just absolutely incredible. So, But it's amazing as well that you're now doing a job that you have literally always wanted to do. I mean, that's incredible. Yes, and I'm glad. By the way, I'm just very happy to hear you say you had goosebumps hearing our anthem. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's really good. I'm not afraid it's, to admit it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And may I say, you've always sound fantastic singing the anthem as well uh, um, when you've been there and I've seen you do that. And um, yes, I mean, it's just such a, a privilege to be able to say that I am, I've am. i had a career in the industry that I always aspired to be in since I was a young kid. Yeah. I realise sometimes when I step back that there aren't many people who can say that the thing they talked about as a child or the thing they told their careers teacher or advisor or careers librarian at school is the actual thing they ended up doing. I mean, I was the kid in school in class who would always be asked to read from a textbook. They would say, Kevin, would you read it, but do it in your newsreader voice? <laughs> or Kevin, would you read out the chapter there, but do it in your DJ voice? I love and that. And pretend you're introducing a song. So I was always... I had that sort of a little bit of an entertainment flair about me. They would ask me to perform, frankly, or host assemblies. I mean, I got a lot of that, Laura, from my dad. Let's be honest, we all get some of this, don't we, from our parents. That's where it comes from. And I definitely got a lot of that, that bug from my dad, even though he's not a professional in the entertainment industry. He worked in social care and juvenile justice, but he was always, he is an aspiring singer performer and he's a brilliant amateur magician. I think I got a lot from him. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I didn't know that about your dad. And and so was that growing up, did you aspire to kind of be like him? Yeah, I did actually, because he would be the person that would host local, you know, you can remember this, local village fates, charity events. He was working with the Lions Club and he would be the person because he, he was a Welshman in Somerset where I grew up after the age of eight. And he would be the person that would just hold it all together. He was the MC, and I would hold, you know, the clipboard. I would hold the tombola tickets during the raffle, but secretly, desperately just wanted to be on the microphone and take over and have a go. So I guess, yeah, I definitely got that bug, the radio bug, especially from him because I and watched I suppose, him work that. Yeah, but also I suppose that's a really, really good point that you make because actually, we talk about, you know, these huge artists. We're going to talk about some um, wonderful composers, wonderful songs a little bit later as well and they've all started somewhere and I think that's what's so important I'm actually sat here in Suffolk at the moment um, which is my home county and when I come back I feel so humbled by all the sort of smaller wonderful experiences I had here that really kind of um, embedded kind of what I do now and my passion for singing so actually yeah. like you say you know those kind of smaller events that that still happen now are so important it's that grassroots music and it's the same for sport and any other kind of entertainment in that sense. Um, and so you can't take it for granted, can you? And by, by the way, can I just check? Are you from, am I right in saying that you're from the same town as Ed Sheeran? Yes, that's right. So I'm literally, right. yeah, at the moment I'm about 10 minutes down the road from Framlingham, which is where I went to school and that's where Ed's from as well. So yes, we're very close. I mean, not personally, but geographically. Yeah, see, <laughs> I knew this. I wanted to just double check that, you know, somebody that... I remember he's interviewing Ed at the start of his career and meeting him when he was just this uh, aspiring singer-songwriter and then watch him go into the stratosphere. So when I saw Framlingham connected to your name, I thought I'd just double check. It rang a bell. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and tell me, how have the past few months been for you? Because obviously this is a very strange time that we're living in at the moment. And of course, we talked about it a lot on this podcast before with some of yeah. my other guests. But actually, I suppose you're in a little bit more of a unique and different situation because you've been sort of keeping people going across the airwaves with your music. But how how has it been the past few months? 
Yeah, it has been incredibly testing, obviously. But I realise that um, I'm very I'm grateful for the opportunity that I've been able to broadcast on my Heart 90s breakfast show every morning. Uh, for a number of months, I, I broadcast the home. I'm, uh, from home, I'm doing, I did exactly what you're doing right now. I sat on my sofa and did a four-hour breakfast show every single morning, five days a week to the nation, which is surreal. But you adapt, and we have the te- technology to do that and to be able to connect with an audience. And, you know, I'd be at home but uh, talking about 90s music, but then hearing from NHS workers, key workers across the country, who I I know at uh, that time needed a lift and needed entertainment. And I saw my role and still see my role as, I guess, and all of us in this industry, uh, as giving that boost, giving that lift to the country at such a crazy time, knowing the madness that's going on in the news, but thinking, well, someone needs to inject a bit of levity in life and humour. And that's what I hope I, I've done and I'm trying to do and aspire to do, like so many of our colleagues in the industry. But yes, yeah, such a crazy time. But what's been great is knowing and learning that radio has definitely brought people together. There's been a huge increase in radio listening because people want that human connection during these crazy times. And I think that's a real positive of these mad few months. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And it's so lovely to hear that, that you've been such a source of inspiration, I imagine, for so, so many um, during this. Or an yeah, annoyance, depending on your <laughs> take on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll go with inspiration. Yeah, I'll take, I'll take that. I'll take that. But yeah, it's been great to be able to stay on air uh, at this during this time and, and play these great records I get to play every morning from this fantastic decade. So, yeah, that's been great. Yeah, I love that. I'm a 90s baby. I was born in 1990. So there you go. Yeah, I'm I'm there with you all the way. Um, So we've obviously got eight questions that I send to my guests and you've chosen four out of those eight questions and you've got a song for each question. Um, And we'll just talk a little bit about each one of those songs today. Now, this first one, uh, you've chosen a song from your childhood. Um, You kind of briefly mentioned a little bit about your dad and, and a little bit about your childhood already. But tell me why this classical piece of music is important to you and and what it kind of what memories it brings back for you this is Ravel's Bolero I know I know I've shocked myself by picking this Laura and I hope you're impressed by my choice it is a bit random because the people who know me will be thinking hang on he's the pop prince on Twitter and Instagram what's he doing picking Ravel's Bolero what's going on Um, I've never hosted a classical radio show in my life but I was thinking, yes, I could sit here and talk to you about so many 80s and 90s pop records that I was obsessed with growing up, Laura. Your Madonnas, your Mariahs, your, your Whitney's, your MJ's. I'm a massive Michael Jackson fan. I could talk to you on it for hours about that, man. However, take me back to being a, an 11-year-old in Comprehensive in Somerset uh, a few years after leaving South Wales. And I am obsessed with music to the point that I, I, I started playing the recorder like we all did. I'm sure you did in school at a young age. And then that terrible. (laughs) Right. Well, that progressed. I actually shocked my teachers and myself and my parents and my twin sister, by the way, by actually being pretty good at it. So that meant at the age of 11, I'm arriving in comprehensive school and I start to learn the oboe. They select me to become the oboist because there aren't enough oboists in the school band. Cut to three years later when I'm studying music and loving it and I've got to quite a good level. I'm now in the school band as the lead oboist and I'm in my own woodwind ensemble, which I used to run every or two, three days a week, every lunchtime. I have to remind myself, Laura, that I actually did this. Yeah, I was going to say, this is amazing. I love I this story. And, and people think, what, you're an oboist? What? And um, 
the one memory I have and why this piece of music is, is, is special to me. Now, obviously, it means a lot to so many people because of Torval and Dean's iconic performance at the 1984 Winter Olympics when they won gold dancing to this iconic piece of music and their fabulous purple chiffon. Well, for me, it's 1990. I'm at my school 50th anniversary concert. The rain is pouring, Laura. You've experienced this. Concerts, outdoor concerts, but the weather's not on your side. But whatever happens at this 50th anniversary concert, fireworks must go off (laughs) as the final note of Bolero, Ravel's Bolero, plays out. And it was such an important and iconic piece of music for me. I had goosebumps sitting there as an oboist waiting to perform this massive and magical piece of music uh, composed by, of course, Maurice Ravel and performed, I think, first in 1928. But as the heavens opened, the heavens just drowned us all in this moment sitting in a field in Somerset. But the fireworks went off and Ravel's Bolero was performed. And I remember going home thinking, I feel so happy and proud that we got to perform Ravel. Bolero. So I'm taken straight back to Hewish Episcopal School in Somerset, where, by the way, Laura, my uh, my classmate who sat opposite me in French was the designer Alice Templey, oh, who's wow. gone on to do incredible work. We She's sit there. literally one of my favourite designers. What an amazing designer. Incredible. So yeah. I used to sit next to her in French and watch her doodle and think, yeah, you're really good, Alice. I think you're going to go far. <laughs> but she went on to do incredible things. But at that time, it was Ravel, it was Bolero. And as soon as it starts in with that fabulous snare drum, that incredible bit just builds, doesn't it? It builds to a crescendo and a climax. It's 15 minutes long. And yeah, it takes me straight back to those school days. I don't, I have to tell you though, Laura, I, I don't play the oboe anymore. To I was going to say, are it's we going to, yeah, end. can we have a live rendition? Is this going to be brought back? <laughs> I'm just going to get it right now. <laughs> Get it but out. I, yeah, I regret that. So to anyone listening with kids or kids who want to take up an instrument, I say you have to do it. You must do it and you must stick with it. I just chose to switch it up from the oboe to CDs, cassettes and MP3s. Oh, absolutely. Um, like, I mean, I play, I, like I said, I played the recorder and I was terrible. I had a go at the violin and I was equally terrible. And everyone knows if you're bad at the violin, that's not something nice to listen to. I felt very bad for my parents having to listen to me <laughs> attempt to play it. And then I found singing. So I think, you know, we all have to start somewhere and figure out what it is that we're good at in life but I mean and who was that person that said to you you can sing it was my my singing teacher at the time he's called Mr Goodrich and actually we had sort of a love-hate relationship because he would push me to sing things that he knew I could sing but at the time I I just was singing for fun and and I think that's what's lovely about finding your passion in life is that it's often you know what your friends are doing or you do something just for the the pure love of it and as you said it's it's wonderful that we get to talk about these things that are also our job and, and we love doing them and we're still passionate about them now um, and a shout have- out and credit to all our music teachers everywhere who do a fabulous job and mine back then was Mr Gray so thank you to Mr Gray for making me Mr. take up Gray the elbow and Mr Goodrich <laughs> we salute you um, so let's have a little listen before we chat a bit more about this piece of music this is Ravel's Bolero Thank you. 
like swaying from side to side as it as it plays? I don't know. <laughs> Me if you too. Are. <laughs> Me too. I'm standing up trying to do the drum. Oh, that are incredible you? Incredible rhythm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just want to talk a little bit about this piece because for people who who might not know, so yeah, you've mentioned already that you probably know it from the 1984 Olympics where we saw. Uh, figure skaters Torval and Dean win the gold um, but actually as you say composed in 1928 it's a one movement orchestral piece and it was actually originally composed as a ballet which makes total sense when you think about the way that Torval and Dean used the music to dance and move to um, and it was as you say premiered 1928 it's his most famous musical composition mm. but actually when I was reading about this because you obviously said it was one of your choices and I like to do a little bit of research and try and find some interesting little bits of of information to pass on but the kind of opinion on this comp- uh, on this composition of the piece is that the repetitive theme that we hear you know the da 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 is actually something that he couldn't get out of his head so much that they kind of it was opinion at the time so allegedly thought that this was the onset of some sort of aphasia which is like a neurodegenerative disease and it basically means it's this repetitive thing that's going round in his mind and so what he did was use every single part of the orchestra moving the the, the motif and the theme around from from instrument to instrument to create more excitement and as you say as well build and build and build and I think it's such a great example of a piece of music that has one theme but li- literally goes on for 15 minutes and still keeps your interest and I think that's amazing to hear all of those different instruments in an orchestra and to know that it I don't know strangely came out of quite a sad kind of reason but actually it was his most famous piece of work and I think often with composers that are of the classical era we sometimes don't realize there are so many similarities with modern music and this is totally similar to modern kind of pop music and I think that's maybe why you chose it as well it's got a lot of similarities to oh, that's a good some point. of the other choices that's such a good point. And the irony as well for me, well, not irony, but what's interesting, years, decades later, Laura, after performing that in the rain in Somerset, waiting for those fireworks, after hearing the magnificent build-up of that piece, I ended up backstage at Dancing on Ice, the TV show, where every week I would interview all the contestants on that show. And of course, the big thing they all wanted was to perform that iconic routine to that iconic piece of music. So I remember sitting there with a host of celebrities thinking, this is surreal that that piece of music that meant so much to me, here I am decades later, waiting to speak to celebrities who want to dance and ice skate to it. But hey, it's got to be done. Yeah, but that's so weird because I was about to say I recorded a vocal version of it with the wonderful tenor Noah Stewart and that was for the Dancing on Ice final where we saw Torval and Dean skate again. So this is weird. So and speaking. that's what you did. I love that. And yeah. I've met Noah. He's a very talented, incredible singer, lovely guy and a brilliant uh, talent. Yeah. Yeah, he is absolutely amazing. I want to but hear I that think, version immediately. <laughs> I have to say, fitting words around that tune is very difficult. You can see why they didn't do it originally as a composition. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I love, I love that you have that memory of that piece of music, and it's so lovely to hear. You know, does when you listen to it just now, did it bring back some nice memories for you, or just yeah, memories of did. the rain? It did. Well, a bit of yeah, a bit of that rain actually, but yeah, just really good times where. You know, you're, you're you're growing up. Yes, I was obsessed with pop music, but also I realised that that um, passion for music and that interest with performing it as an oboist actually was really good for me and, and just good for my, uh, you know, just cultural mindset. And it was a fantastic hobby and a good way of meeting people and socialising all walks of life, of course. And it brought everyone in the community 
together when they heard us perform, even though there were many occasions where we sounded abysmal, I think. But of course, at the time, we sounded fabulous. We sounded oh, great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> In your mind, you sounded absolutely amazing. I tell my, I tell myself that when I sing now, it's fine. <laughs> you always um, sound great. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about your next song choice. This is a song that screams family. You've kind of alluded already that you, you know, brought up in Wales, such a beautiful, beautiful country. Let's talk about why you've chosen this Tom Jones song, Green Green Grass of Home. Well, what an icon. What a legend. Um, I'd like to think of him as my surrogate father, Laura. And we I'd all like do. Think- we all do. <laughs> so we're all children of Tom. <laughs> Let's be honest. I mean, what an incredible uh, performer and what an ambassador for Wales and what yeah, let's say icon. He is an icon. And um, yes, growing up in Wales uh, with parents who, especially my dad, who comes from more or less the same town as Tom Jones. So grew up only a couple of miles away from him. Uh, my mum met him growing up. You know, he was revered as the local star. All my family tell me stories of seeing Tommy Woodward live in the Ron the Valley Clubs, love, before he <laughs> became a star and went to London to become Sir, to become Tom Jones and ultimately Sir Tom Jones. So, you know, he was, I, I always heard his music and his voice growing up and then he had he had a bit of a comeback in the late 80s if you remember he covered the Kiss song the Prince song Kiss and that brought him back and then we had the Reload album we had Sex Bomb and he was back and trendy and cool and everybody wanted to work with him and then of course he had that huge moment at Clastonbury but yeah he's just someone that I've always been a fan of and and it will always take me back to Wales it will always take me back to my family and my dad especially who is still a a huge fan if I talk about Tom he loves it and I've been lucky, Laura, to meet the man. Oh, wow. And uh, he is everything you hoped he would be. That's so cool. I love that when actually you meet someone who's a bit of an idol or someone you're a huge fan of and they sort of fulfill everything that you imagined. That's so lovely to have that experience. And so is it this p- particular song for you? Is it the lyrics? Is it the fact that he's singing it? What is it about this song that, that means so much and, and reminds you of family? I mean, this is, it's the lyrical connection to Wales. This has almost become the alternative Welsh national anthem. It gets mm-hmm. sung at rugby matches. I'm not a huge, huge rugby fan. However, I've experienced it. I've been there in the stadium with my dad. It's a fabulous thing. And you watch it on TV every year with the Six Nations and more. But you think about the deriv- the history of this song, and maybe you're going to tell me some more about it, because this actually stems from a country, I think a country and Western song in the States, has no real literal connection to Wales, but has become a song that we associate with Wales and I will always be transported back to seeing Sir Tom perform in Cardiff Castle I think at the beginning of the uh, century where it was such a beautiful magical evening and and in that setting of Cardiff Castle Laura it was just a goosebumps moment when Sir Tom finally performed this song you can imagine the reaction yeah, absolutely. And as you say, yeah, there is sort of a little bit of a, a backstory to it. It was originally released in 1966, written by Claude or Curly, I think was his nickname, P- uh, Putman. And he sadly passed away actually in 2016, so not that long ago. But it was first recorded and performed by Do- uh, Johnny Darrell, and it was made famous by a singer called Porter Wagoner. And it's been covered by Elvis Presley, you know, a lot of other singers have covered this song. But as you say, when there's an icon such as Sir Tom Jones, you know, he he performed this song, he released it, it stayed at number one for like seven weeks. And it's actually a relatively simple song in its structure, but there's something mm. about the way he sings it. And as you say, there's that kind of 
I think the the Welsh love for him as a performer has sort of lifted him up into this position where when whatever song he touches turns to gold in that sense. And this is a perfect example. It's such an iconic song now to him specifically. I totally agree with you. When I think of it, I think of him. And yeah. although it's great to obviously know the backstory of a song, it shows that actually when a song's written, someone can come along and take that piece of music and just totally make it their own, which I think is, is amazing. And lyrically, it's actually... For people who might not know so lyrically it talks in the first half about a man returning to his childhood home he's being reunited with his parents he's talking about his beloved who's called mary and then however through the song there's this really kind of melancholy approach that actually this is suddenly it's a dream it's not a reality and he's actually in fact surrounded by four gray walls and people suggest that he's in prison and he's actually awaiting his execution so it suddenly has an even bigger meaning that this place that he calls home is so important that that's what he's going to take with him you know and I think also we see Wales as the land of song and I think that has made this even more iconic um but let's let's have a little listen about uh, to this song and we can talk a little bit more about it as this is the green green grass of home Smiling sweetly, it's good to touch the green, green grass of home. The old house is still standing, though the paint is cracked and dry. Does that make you feel quite emotional? (laughs) Do you know, it does. It does, because I absolutely love that man, love that song, love his voice. And it's, yeah, right. His delivery is so perfect, so emotive that I, every time I hear it, every time I feel it now, every time I hear it, yeah, I do well up. And I know my dad, if he listened to it, he would well up as well in anyone in Wales. And anyone who has a connection to thinking back to, as you say, to former homes, to your childhood home or to a past or, you know, to a, a part of your life that... Uh, that chapter's closed. So yes, it was, it was such a powerful emotional song. And I've got just great memories, Laura, of meeting him and interviewing him. When I started my career at BBC Wales, I was there for eight years at Radio Wales. And Tom, if you remember, um, was given the Brit Award, the Outstanding Contribution Award at the Brits yes, at the yeah. end of the noughties, I think, or maybe the mid noughties actually, 2003, 2004. And I managed to secure an interview and it took some, t- took some effort, but I managed to get a trip to London and meet Tom in a hotel and record a special with him, which became, I basically created, I created, Laura, very proud of this, Tom Jones Day in Wales. I just love that. <laughs> to celebrate Tom's honour. And then luckily from that moment, I was able to um, stay in touch with his people and interview Tom quite a lot over the years. And he's just turned 80, of course, and uh, there were some wonderful tributes to him and everybody's celebrating Tom the Voice. And he deserves celebrating because I think he is an icon. He is one of the best. Absolutely. And I think also, as you mentioned, celebrating him as a as a performer and as a musician and a singer. But it's also the fact that sometimes we celebrate people once they're not here anymore. And, and actually, why wait for that moment? It's like, yeah. let's celebrate them now in the here and now. And I think also, this song is such a good uh, piece of music to listen to right now for people because it, it is nostalgic. It reminds them of home. And, and a lot of people, let's face it, haven't been able to go back to their homes recently or spend time yeah. with family and loved ones. And I think it reminds reminds us, you know, celebrating those moments, celebrating those people in our lives right now. That's what we need to do. And I think this song is such a great anthem 
for that and the fact that he sings it you know and like you say turning 80 I mean just what an incredible artist and you know I, I've grown up loving classical music but for me that doesn't mean I love I don't love a pop artist or, or yeah. country and western singers or anyone any less and actually he's someone who he is iconic and it's it's just great to celebrate his music his performances while he's still here and he's still performing as well which I think is incredible I mean yeah. uh, do you get nervous when you interview him? Um, I Yes. Do you know what? That first time I definitely was because it meant so much to me to meet him. Um, and uh, at the time as well, he was promoting the album he recorded with Wyclef Jean, which many people may have forgotten about. But I actually love, I actually love that album. And I he need loved- to listen to this album. Did I you? don't know. This. Yeah, I need to. You do. It's where Tom uh, dabbled in hip hop. It's fascinating. I love it. And um, he loved the fact that I listened to the whole album and I knew the tracks. And there was, you know, what he'd done is he'd re-recorded a few of his older songs and put in a sort of a ninety, as it was, a ninety spin on it with Wyclef Jean. It was fascinating, actually. If you read listen to that album uh, and then yes I uh, got to meet him at many events over the years and watch him you know on The Voice where I think he's an incredible coach on The Voice and a, a superb uh, presence on that show and yeah just in awe of him and let's be honest everybody in Wales as well Laura attempts an impression of him oh, everybody yeah. in Wales if you mention Tom everyone tries to do the cough you know the hello summer clubs oh Del- Delilah right Delilah I bet Delilah yeah. of course yes <laughs> But We're yeah, he a is a legend. He's a Absolutely. legend. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, we're here to tell you about the Loose Lips podcast. Me being Georgie Porter. And me, Samira Mighty. We are all about honesty and not holding back, especially when it comes to what's in the news. Plus, we answer your questions and give advice wherever it's asked for. Even when it's not asked for. You can expect to hear a little bit of this. 
That's so... Do you know what I mean? Not really, mate. A little bit of this. Listener letter. I'm a vegan and I'm currently dating a non-vegan. Get over it, yeah. And of course, a bit of this as well. Where (laughs) do you both sit on plastic surgery? On my fake implant butt. Bitches. (laughs) I don't. It's real. That's the Loose Lips podcast out every Monday and not forgetting the bonus extra lippy on Thursdays. Find it wherever you found this podcast. We'll see you there. So going from Sir Tom Jones to Beyonce, this is a song that reminds me of good times. I was really surprised by this choice. I don't know why. You know, I I don't know you well as a person. I just saw it and thought, actually, and then when I listened to it, I thought, this is a really epic song. But tell me why this song reminds you of good times. Is there a specific memory? Is it a kind of era of your life that it reminds you of? Tell me a bit more. Well, I think this song is the song for me that represents the era of hoofing it on the red carpet as the showbiz reporter, showbiz journalist, which I did for eight, nine, ten years. And I still do bits of that today. But um, Beyonce is an artist that I seem to constantly be talking about as a radio showbiz reporter at Capital Radio and Global Radio, Lauren Anna Hart. And she's somebody who, I, uh, you know, let's be honest, she's one of the biggest stars in the world, an absolute legend and icon again. But and somebody I've been playing on the radio since 1997, I remember receiving the very first CD single featuring this new band called Destiny's Child, thinking, wow, they're good. I think they could be big. And we, we know the rest, the rest is history. But for me, this song is an uplifting anthemic song. So I love this song both musically and lyrically. But for me, it represents some incredible occasions. For example, so here's my story now. Allow me to clang this in. I'm in Los Angeles. No, I'm in New York. I'm in New York at the MTV Video Music Awards, which I was lucky enough to cover several times. So I would interview all the stars on the red carpet and all the winners backstage. I mean, it's just an incredible gig, an incredible memory of all my trips to America to interview these stars. And if you remember, Laura, there was a moment where Beyonce stepped out onto the red carpet for that at that year's VMAs. And she started to rub her belly, her stomach, oh, announcing to the world remember. that she was pregnant. I do remember this, yeah. And I was standing about 10 metres away from her, watching this, thinking, oh, wow. we have a major international showbiz <laughs> story breaking in front of me and desperately trying to get on my then Blackberry to get on Twitter to break the news to, to <laughs> report and everyone was doing the same. So it was just that frisson of madness of thinking I'm standing 10 metres away from this iconic pop star, from the incredible Beyonce, who's currently at this moment chosen to reveal to the world that she's expecting her first child. And so I will always have the memory of that show, that performance that night, but also just the memory of the buzz of of that 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 incredible revelation, that personal thing she decided to share with the world in a press room in New York. Yeah, and that's actually quite, I suppose you would say, unusual for someone of her stature who I see as quite fiercely private about some things yeah. as well. It was that's a big moment for her. And, you know, I think she's always been about the music, but then also you see that when it comes to being an artist, and you must know this from interviewing so many mega stars over the years about how actually their music is intrinsically connected to their life, isn't it? You know, it's it's inspired by what goes on in their life so much of the time. And she's someone who she's one of those fierce females who just is so inspirational yeah. to everyone men and women alike you know around the world and I think this song is it's like a power ballad that just um reminds you of how iconic she is as an artist do you remember the first time you heard it 
Yeah, I do. I remember being uh, in Sony Music at a playback where they wanted to play tracks from the new Beyonce album to media. And I was very lucky and honoured to be invited along, sat in a massive boardroom. And you know what? They they sit you down, they play, feed you, wine and dine you. Then they play the tracks. And I remember this song blasting out and literally feeling it. So cliche to say this, but just every hair standing up, goosebumps, electrify a moment. Everyone around the room thinking, oh, my goodness. This song is going to be enormous. This is a huge future hit. And obviously today, Laura, I could have chosen single ladies. I could have chosen independent women. I could have chosen uh, the big hits Crazy in Love and all the other. So many, so many Beyonce, Destiny's Child songs. But there is something special, I think, and anthemic and uplifting about this song. And also seeing her perform it live in concert and seeing her perform it in 2009 just two months after Michael Jackson had passed. This oh, was the wow. song that she performed during the set to dedicate as a dedicate and tribute to him. She had footage of her as a child going to the sea, Michael live in the late 80s, and she did a whole emotional uh, dedication to him. She broke down in tears, in fact, in, on stage at the O2 in London. So I will always have that connection. And so because I spent so many years following her career and talking about her as a showbiz entertainment journalist, because let's be honest, she is one of the biggest stars on the planet. I've just chosen this one for all those various reasons, but it will always take me back to that that job as being the red carpet reporter, but also because musically and lyrically, it's such a unique and special song and has such great memories for me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's go back there now. Let's have a little listen. This is Beyonce's Halo. Like I've been awakened, every rule I had you break it. I don't want it to stop. Carry on. <laughs> oh, I know. What so a song, good. what a voice. Have you recorded that? Have you ever sung that song? No, I think I wouldn't dare either. I mean, I think there are some songs that you just, you know, <laughs> let those artists belt out and they do it better than anyone else. So it's written by One Republic's Ryan Tedder, who's who's written, you know, so many amazing power ballads um, alongside someone called Evan Bogart and of course Beyonce as well. Yeah. And it was, they say the song was inspired by Ray LaMontagne's song Shelter. But there's a bit of controversy when it comes to the song itself because Kelly Clarkson stated it was really similar to one of her songs on an album she wrote, co-wrote with Ryan Tedder and also claimed by Simon Cowell that the song was intended for Leona Lewis which I think if you listen to the song you could hear someone like Leona Lewis you know singing it incredibly well but I just think musically I mean Beyonce just nails it and there's something that I really wanted to ask you actually when I knew that I was going to be you know having the pleasure of having a chat with you today is that you as someone who's in the entertainment world do you always look for that thing that makes something unique? What is it you look for when you are experiencing new music? Because you're, you know, in that position where you get to hear some of these songs before anyone else sometimes. And is it is it a feeling? Is it something technical that you listen for? What is it that, that makes something really special for you like this song? It's such a good question. And I do think, I do think it is, it is a feeling and it's um, sometimes you just can't put your finger on it, can you? Sometimes what I like to do is look down to the floor when I listen to a piece of music. And if I lift my head, I know it's got me. I know I'm engaged. I know I'm intrigued. And, 
yeah, there are just those moments, aren't they, where you hear a song and you think, wow, what is this? I've not heard anything like it. Um, it is a physical reaction. You feel it in your bones. You feel it in your body. Uh, this, that's happened to me many times over the years. And I've played so many songs on the radio. But going back to that boardroom, so when I heard that, yes, if you listen to Ray LaMontagne, as you, as you mentioned, The Shelter, you will hear some similarities. You will think of other songs when you hear that. But in that first instant when you hear it, like I, I was when I was in that boardroom and many other songs, you are waiting for that physical connection, aren't you? You're waiting for the goosebumps and the hairs to go up. And that happened to me. Um, and also, Laura, I do pride myself. It sounds maybe a bit surreal. I pride myself in, I think I'm good at judging what's going to be a hit record, a hit song. I think I know a hit song when I hear it and I think you've got enough experience to do that for sure <laughs> yeah I feel a bit like what does he what does he mean by that um but I've got it right many times over my career and I've been proud to say that and that uh, well it's Beyonce for of course so it's going to be huge but you know there are moments where you just go yes of course it's going to be massive it's going to appeal to so many people but it's a personal thing isn't it but yeah I do think with with pop songs I've got it right I'm proud to say over the years I've got it right I've had many arguments with bosses over the years who laughed at me when I discussed certain songs and then months later I won't say too much but months later after a certain song hit number one uh, a boss came to me with a 10 pound note and said mm, I think we had a wager that this you said I this will be that. number one and we I laughed I at you that. and then four months later it's the biggest song in the world so yeah, I felt, like, I'm I very told proud you of so. that take that yeah, tenor I'll take that money <laughs> absolutely which would buy you what half a coffee these I know, days I I'm know. sure but there you go it's better than nothing exactly um I love that. And I, do you think also in your position, it's it's more than the song or do you think a good song will always prevail, you know, regardless of, you know, Lady Gaga in a meat dress or, you know, yeah. whatever it is that someone's wearing or the story around it. Do you think that a good song will always come out, will always do good if it is, you know, genuinely written well and produced well and all those things? Yeah, I do think it's, it is all about the song. Obviously, you've got to have all the extra factor. You've got to have the artist with the X factor. You've got to have the extra icing on the cake. You've got to have the sizzle. You've got to have the of that something, that je ne sais quoi. But it comes down to the song. If the song doesn't work and doesn't connect, doesn't, for example, in my job, doesn't jump out the radio for a start, uh, depending on which era we're talking about, obviously, then I, I don't think it's going to resonate with the public. So, mm. but ultimately, it comes down to the nuts and bolts of the the notes on the page and the words on that page, definitely. Mm. And let's uh, let's move on. Actually, this is a great time to talk about then this last song. So this is a song that always cheers you up. It's a Spice Girl song. Come I on. love this song. I know I'm grinning from ear to ear <laughs> when I saw it on the Are you a fan? As well. Oh, oh my goodness, who isn't a fan? I actually think as well, though, what we're talking about here, you know, as a song, this for me is almost where, you know, Spice Girls became so much bigger than even their own music. People bought into them as people and and them as women and, and girl power yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And and I just, I want to know why, I mean, it's obvious why this song would cheer you up, but why you personally, like, what does it mean to you and why does it always put a smile on your face? It'll always put a smile on my face because it is such an infectious pop song for a start. Once you hear the first few seconds of this song, you're hooked and you need to go on the journey and hear it right to the end. And plus you'll shuffle your movie 
move your feet, you'll go crazy and you'll sing the chorus. It's that good. It's so infectious. Uh, but you're right. It takes me back to being on the radio at this time and remembering that these um, ladies had come along who were about to change the face of pop and were so bold, so courageous and so ready to take on the world that it was obvious they were going to be successful. And by the time this song came out, you're right, they had gone into the stratosphere and had a positive message. We're inspiring so many young girls around the world and so many women around the world and young boys around the world as well, let's be honest. And it was just one of those moments where you think, yes, here is an incredible pop song from an incredible pop act who represents something more than just fizz and fun. And uh, it is just one of the songs that I get to play it now on my Heart 90s radio show. So I still love playing it in 2020, which is great. Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? Songs that stand the test of time, you know, that's a true test of, of whether it's a great song. And But I agree with you. I think this is so much more about, uh, more than the piece of music itself. It was what the Spice Girls stood for, you know, the fact that they were, they were taking over the world with their music. And I think this as well is such a lovely song to listen to, especially again, like we've talked about, you know, already at the moment where, you know, it, it didn't really have a, a great critical reception, but it had no. massive commercial success because it was just, infectious like you say it was just great to listen to it makes you smile and I think we can all do with that three minutes of a pop song that makes us forget whatever's going on in our lives and that's what music does you know it it transports us to a certain time or a place or it allows us to feel an emotion without worrying about it we can feel sad we can feel happy and and that's the the song and the music and, and the artist that does that for us and that's why it's great that's why I believe music will never go away and we'll always want to sort of consume new music and new art and I think this is such a great choice um, to, to listen to today. Let's have a little listen to a bit of it so we can smile and grin from ear to ear. This is Spice Up Your Life, Spice Girls. Yes. Oh, we're I wish moving. we were in we're the same moving. room. <laughs> no, I was going to say there's not a chance that both of us aren't dancing right now. You don't want to see me dance, Lord. You don't want to see that. You don't want to see that. Oh, honestly, you don't want to see what I was doing the old shimmy, shimmy, <laughs> shimmy to each side. Yeah, sat down though, which is very strange. Oh. I mean, it's what is this genre? It's Latin dance yeah. pop. I don't even, I don't really, you know, I'm not someone who is particularly well researched in this, but my goodness, it's a great song, isn't it? Oh, the Latin vibe is so infectious. It just works. There was the incredible video as well. It was such a cinematic video as well um, almost borrowing elements of the Matrix uh, and oh, those yeah, other Hollywood movies they like in space yeah. and they were kind of taking over the world and I love just it. Just so iconic. And also it takes me back to last year, st- again, back to rain, Laura. We talked a lot about rain today. Standing in the <laughs> Principality Stadium in Cardiff on the first UK show of the Spice Girls comeback tour last year in 2019, watching those ladies perform this and doing such an incredible sizzling show. And we're absolutely getting soaked. We're getting absolutely drenched. It's pouring with rain, but we didn't care because the Spice Girls were on stage and we were all having a great time. 
Yeah, such a good memory to have as well. And like we said, you know, this isn't necessarily about the deeper meaning of a song. It's about, I think, people around you experiencing it together as a moment and having that fun with music. And I think we sometimes forget that, that we get bogged down in in the meaning behind a piece of music or a piece of art or whatever it may be. And actually, sometimes you just have to take things, you know, on surface level and the fact that it's a great piece of music. Um, It's co-written with Richard Stannard and Matt Rowe. And actually, I was reading about the story about this of how they recorded it and they had to record the chorus with them all together whereas normally you would obviously split up um, each performer in their own studio so that they would be able to control the volumes of the vocals and all that kind of stuff and actually you know they recorded them all together but that's what gives it that kind of vibe that it's almost live and you're almost there with them and I think also again listening to it now it it sounds like it, it could have been released today even though it's released in 1997 and I think um, yeah, I think it's so lovely to hear your your memories of this song. I'm sure so many people would be nodding their head and smiling, going, yeah, I remember when I first heard it or I saw them live. You know, it's incredible to hear. And, and I want to say as well, Kevin, thank you for sharing these memories. I think people will so enjoy listening to, to your stories behind these songs. Oh, Laura, no problem. It's been wonderful talking to you and sharing these tunes. And uh, I do want to just hear more, sp- more Spice Girls now. So <laughs> you <go>. can, feel <laughs> free. But before, before you go, I always make a suggestion of a piece of music as well so um this is sometimes taken from your previous choices that we've talked about I've kind of noticed that you like a kind of uh strong female powerful vocal um so I've chosen a singer that you will know of but isn't as well known as I think she should be as Janelle Monet. um this is from her album Metropolis and it's a cover of the song Smile and I feel like I knew that you'd be so infectious and lovely to chat to today. And I can hear that you smile across, you know, from wherever we are, from Suffolk to London. And it's, for me, this was a really lovely piece of music to end our chat with. So um, she's an artist who reinvents herself for every time as well. And I think, you know, we were talking about what you look for in artists when you hear that, that sound or that voice and that star kind of quality. And she's someone who I think is, is a wonderful performer. So let's have a little listen. You can tell me if you like it or not. Um, Feel free to say that you don't or you do but let's have a listen this is smile by janelle monet because that's the time you must keep on trying smile what's the use of crying you'll find that life is still Oh, I love that. I love that. I've not heard that version uh, because I absolutely love that song. Oh, do you? Good. Well, I thought, yeah, I thought this is, I know that it's such a popular song and I thought, I'm sure, you know, there's no chance that you wouldn't know this song, but actually this is a little bit of a a unique arrangement and version of this song. And I think she's, yeah, she's a really cool artist and she's someone who, um, as I say, deserves, deserves more uh, recognition than I think she gets. So it's nice to be able to to show her off to everyone and and see what you think. Do you know what's interesting is that a year ago, Laura, I was invited for the first time ever to Wimbledon with my fabulous friend Christina and I sat in on court number one and who was sitting in front of me the day after she performed at Glastonbury looking incredible was Janelle Monet. and I remember saying to my friend Christina that's Janelle Monet," and she said to me who 
<laughs> to explain who she was. So yes, and also yeah. back in, I'll take you back to July two thousand and nine. I'm sitting in the Staples Center in Los Angeles watching Jermaine Jackson sing that song in memory of his brother when I attended the memorial service for Michael Jackson because that song was MJ's favorite song of all time, written by Charlie Chaplin. So there's my connection again. Oh, that's nice because you're such a huge fan as well of him, and that's really great. That it's a it's a piece of music that means something to you already. It does, so yeah. Thank you for, for letting me hear that today. That's a pleasure. Thank you so much for chatting to me, and um, hopefully see you again soon. Laura, Thanks. love to Framlingham, and uh, can't oh, wait yeah, to hear what you do you. next. It's been so so lovely talking to you. It's been amazing today. Thank you. Ah, oh, legend. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks to you too for listening and don't forget to hit subscribe or follow to make sure you don't miss an episode. We have some amazing guests lined up so you'll definitely want to come back next week. If you've enjoyed the podcast, why not tell a friend and drop us a review? Have a great week and we'll see you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.